0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So uh, a while ago, I met a a local Orthodox rabbi at a coffee shop, and uh, I started uh, engaging with him in conversation. I was talking to him, and this was around the time of Rosh Hashanah, or as we say, Rosh Hashanah. And uh, so I asked him uh, what he thought, uh, about the Messiah, if there was a relationship between the Messiah and Rosh Hashanah. And uh, he, he kind of looked at me, and his eyes got really big, and he said, yes, the Messiah is part of every festival, okay? And we, of course, at Tikvat Israel would agree with that wholeheartedly, but we would locate the identity of the Messiah, specifically on Yeshua of Nazareth. That might be where we differ, but it's the same idea. Indeed, Messiah Yeshua is central to everything that we do here. Of course, a part of our goal in Messianic Judaism is reflected in the name itself, if you think about it, right? It's Messiah Yeshua within Judaism. That is, uh, Yeshua within the Torah We want to see Yeshua within the narrative of Hebrew scriptures. You notice I mentioned that during the opening spiel. We want to see Yeshua within the appointed festivals, like Shavuot that's coming up. We want to see Yeshua within the covenants that God made with Israel. And we want to see Yeshua, to a certain extent, within Jewish tradition as well. So all of those are part of Messianic Judaism. There are three ways of fulfillment that I'd like to draw out of of, uh, the Yeshua story today. Um, And that is, number one, I want to talk about the fulfillment of the narrative of Israel. Yeshua fulfilling that. Yeshua fulfilling the covenants of Israel, number two. And number three, Yeshua fulfilling the Moedim of Israel. And if you don't know what Moedim is, you just have to wait till. Section number three, I suppose. And trust me that I will explain it to you. So, when we read the gospel accounts this way, with Yeshua as central, we see how Yeshua walked out the story of Israel in his own life. And he fulfilled the narrative of Israel and all the requirements of the Torah. So, for example, you have the miraculous birth of Isaac to Abraham or Avraham and Sarah. They remember, they were too old to have children, and that is reflected in the miracle of Yeshua's birth. He was born to a virgin. Being saved from a king, trying to get rid of the threat of a new king by killing all of the babies. This is the story of Moses in the Exodus, right? He was saved from the Pharaoh. He was put into a basket. Luke chapter 2 describes how Yeshua was saved in a similar way, right? He was the, there was an evil king at that time, and so he was saved from King Herod. Luke chapter 2 describes also how Yeshua was circumcised on the eighth day into the Abrahamic covenant, which we'll talk about later and how Mary and Joseph redeemed him as the firstborn male according to the law of the firstborn son in the Torah it's called pidyon haben okay yeshua of course spent 40 days in the wilderness what does this recall Yes, we spent 40 years wandering in the, in the wilderness. So he spent one day for every year walking out the story, the narrative of Israel. Remember, he was immersed into the Jordan, going into the water. And uh, even, even John the Immerser was a little bit confused by this. He's like, well, shouldn't this be reverse? Shouldn't I be, uh, you know, uh, being be- immersed by you? And Yeshua said, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Why is that? Because he was walking out the story of Israel. Remember, Israel also went through the water and came out on the other side and entered into their peoplehood. They were on the other side of the Red Sea. They were the people of God. And Yeshua entered into his calling and ministry after that. He was kind of actualized as the Messiah in a sense. So Yeshua's ministry, and when we think about that, what do we think of? He brought healing, he, brought, uh, he called for repentance, turning back to God, and he called for the kingdom of God. And this fits with the narrative and especially the prophets in the Tanakh, and the story of Israel. So why did Yeshua bring healing? Why, why was that an important part of his ministry? Right? Because Israel fell into sin and injustice and idolatry. And with that, disease and death are not far behind. There's a connection between sin and death or, or sickness. Deuteronomy 28:15 and 20 through 21 says this. But if you refuse to pay attention to what Adonai your God says and do not observe and obey his mitzvot, his uh, commandments, and regulations which I am giving you today, then all the following curses will be yours in abundance. Adonai will send on you curses, disasters, and frustration in everything you set out to do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of your evil actions in abandoning me. Adonai will bring on you a plague that will stay with you until he has exterminated you from the land you are entering in order to take possession of it. Adonai will strike you with wasting diseases, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, drought, blasting winds, and mildew. They will pursue you until you perish, right? So not that, we don't want to say that disease and sickness is always a direct result of sin, but the scriptures indicate that there is a general connection, a general correlation between the sicknesses that were in the people of Israel and the distance from God that rebellion and wickedness bring. Do we see that, the general idea there? And so, what did Yeshua do in his ministry? He, of course, brought healing and restoration to Israel in people's bodies. And with the concept of repentance and turning back to God, there was, there was, there's a connection, right, between healing and repentance and the fullness of life and restoration and healing that Yeshua brought. Yeshua also cast out uh, what's referred to as unclean spirits in the scripture. So what is the fulfillment there? What is the connection between that and the story of Israel? Well, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 to 18. Speaking of Israel, they roused him to jealousy with alien gods, provoked him with abominations. They sacrificed to demons, non-gods, gods that they had never known, new gods that had come up lately which your ancestors had not feared. You ignored the rock which fathered you, who fathered you. You forgot God who gave you birth. So this text seems to be drawing a connection between unclean spirits, also called demons, and foreign god worship, also called idolatry. There's a connection there. So through Yeshua's ministry, what did he do? He cast out the unclean spirits. So he brings Israel back into purity and back into worshiping God alone, right? cleansing them of their idolatry and the other unclean spirits that were not of God. This is an important part of Yeshua's ministry. Again, not that idolatry is always leads to unclean spirits, but there's a general connection, uh, it seems, in the Scripture. And so we see that Yeshua brings redemption, and he brings the kingdom of God, and he brings Israel back into right relationship with God and worshiping him alone. Seeing Yeshua's fulfillment of the narrative of Israel should cause us to see the faithfulness of God. And this is the faithfulness of God, as Meggie mentioned, to Israel and also to all nations. And God's faithfulness should provoke our faithfulness to him. It should cause us to press in to relationship with God and his kingdom. And this brings us to the second Fulfillment of Yeshua that we're focusing on this morning. Yeshua brought fullness to all the major covenants with Israel. And, uh, and so the first one, what was the first covenant that God made with humanity, the major covenant? Any guesses? What it, Shabbat? But what, with whom? He made a covenant with, with a, a person. Abraham, there was somebody before Abraham. Noah, right? The only non-Jew on the list, okay? And what was that all about? What was that covenant about, okay? So with Noah, God promised that his purpose was to bring life and redemption and not to destroy the world with a flood, right? He said, I will never again destroy the world with a flood, but I, my, his purpose is to bring life and redemption and healing. Yeshua said in a parallel way in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life. Life in its fullest measure. Okay? So Yeshua fulfills the covenant of Noah. Uh, And all, as I mentioned, all the other major covenants are with the children of Israel. So the first one being... You mentioned it before, Avraham, right? I like to say Avraham instead of Abraham because you say Abraham, it's got ham in it, right? Not, not so kosher. So Avraham is, is a little bit better, I suppose. So Avraham, and this is the covenant in Genesis 12, verse 3. He says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you or through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, right? God brings blessing to all the nations through Israel. And of course, fully, he does that fully in Yeshua. Of course, Yeshua is a blessing to all nations, right? As a representative of Israel. The name of Yeshua is the most famous name in the world. Amen? And his salvation has gone out to every nation. And then there's the covenant with mm, who? I almost gave it away. Moshe. Ah, I like the the Hebrew. Thanks, Sonia. So Moshe or Moses. And the covenant is the Torah, which we are are recognizing in three weeks, this covenant uh, for for Shavuot, for our picnic. So it's going to be exciting. The purpose of the Torah, of course, is to make Israel into a holy nation. We saw some of that with our Parsha reading, to solidify them as a holy people of God to keep them morally upright and from worshiping other gods. And Yeshua does this to its fullness by following the Torah perfectly, by teaching the full and correct meaning of the Torah, and then by empowering his followers to do the same. So he writes the Torah on our hearts. So Yeshua fulfills the Noah commandment, the Abraham commandments and the Moshe commandments, all right? And uh, what's, or uh, covenant, sorry. What is uh, the next major covenant in scripture? Any guesses? It has to do, uh, it's, uh, my name is, is related to it. David. Yes, very good. Okay. So not me, but King David. God makes a covenant with him in 2 Samuel 7. This is 11 through 16. Moreover, Adonai tells you that Adonai will make you a house because remember David wanted to make God a house. So God kind of flips it on him with the the classic reversal and says, no, I'm going to make you a house. When your days come to an end and you sleep with your ancestors, I will establish one of your descendants to succeed you, one of your own flesh and blood, and I will set up his rulership. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish his royal throne forever. Let's say that again. I will establish his royal throne forever. Just for a little while? A generation or two? No, forever. I will be a father for him, and he will be a son for me. If he does something wrong, I will punish him with a rod and blows, just as everyone gets punished, or um, you could think of it as uh, disciplined. Uh, Nevertheless, my grace will not leave him, as I took it away from Shaul, whom I removed from before you. Thus your house and your kingdom will be made secure forever before you. Your throne will be set up. Forever, yes. There's a lot of forevers there, isn't there? Now, some of this is, of course, about David's actual son, who was Solomon, okay? But as with any prophetic statement in the Scriptures, it's a both-and. But we realize it can't just be about Solomon, because Solomon did not rule forever on his father David's throne. But there would be one, his own flesh and blood, who is descended from David, who would be a king like David, who would bring this prophecy to its fullness. Only Yeshua could do this, who is referred to over and over in the gospel as who? The son of David. Only his throne will be forever, and only Yeshua could complete this covenant fully. So we have all four major covenants fulfilled by Yeshua. By his death and his resurrection, Yeshua enacts what is referred to as a new covenant, which really just renews, is a renewal or a fulfillment of all the other covenants that we talked about. It brings the fullness of life in the Noahide covenant. It brings the fullness of mediating blessing, the throughness of blessing through Israel of the Abrahamic covenant brings the fullness of following Torah and God's love and his ways from the Mosaic Covenant. It, and it fulfills the promise of the Messiah directly in the Davidic Covenant. Yeshua died for our sins so that we can have new life. But the Yeshua Covenant is much more than that. It's much, much more. How much better is it that we embrace the whole enchilada? The whole thing of what Yeshua brought forth in his ministry, his teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He fulfilled all of those things. So we've seen how Yeshua fulfills all of these covenants. And then again, it points to what? The faithfulness of God to Israel and to all nations. And that should cause us, our reaction to be faithfulness in response and pressing in to the Lord. And so we've talked about Yeshua fulfilling the narrative of Israel. We talked about Yeshua fulfilling the, what was the second thing? Starts with a C. Covenants of Israel. Just making sure you're still with me. And the third one is the Moedim. The Moedim. What are Moedim? Well, this is in this week's Parsha. Uh, Leviticus 23, and I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to guess which word means Moedim, if you're not familiar. Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, The designated times of Adonai which you are to proclaim as holy convocations are my designated times. So which word is Moedim, do you think? (laughs) Close. Yes, it's basically the designated times. Times designated times moedim. It's usually it's sometimes translated as feasts, right in the scripture. These are the feasts of the Lord, and then here we're talking about Shabbat. We're talking about Shavuot, which is coming up, Sukkot, Yom Kippur. Those are the feasts. Doctor David Stern in the Complete Jewish Bible translates them as I read designated times. I think that is a a better, more accurate translation in English. In Greek, there's a a good word for this also. It is kairos, right? Let's say that together, kairos. And what was the Hebrew word? Moedim, a singular would be moed, right? Okay, so that is, is, what is behind this text here? God has certain times on his calendar that he sets appointments. He sets appointments for Israel. Indeed, we can think of these times that God has made appointments with us in our lives, and he has drawn us to the knowledge of the Messiah, and he's drawn us closer to him because he has appointed times with all of us in our lives. And we see that through the the quote-unquote coincidences, right, that the Lord has brought to draw us closer to him. Okay? But these appointments in Leviticus, these Moedim, they have a prophetic element. Right? That is, they point toward something in the future, to the truth of the world to come. And of course, they all point to the Mashiach. As I mentioned in my conversation with that Orthodox rabbi, even in non-Messianic Judaism, the Messiah is recognized as central to every appointed time, every feast. You will arise, have mercy on Zion, be gracious to her, Kiva Moed, right? God, when God arises to have mercy on Zion, that is his appointed time. It is the fullness of his grace, the Moed. So what are these appointed times in the Parsha? Number one, the first one mentioned is perhaps the most important. Shabbat, that's right, the day of rest, which looks back to the fullness of creation and looks forward to the rest in the world to come. Yeshua brings us into the fullness of Shabbat rest, the fulfillment of trusting in God. In the Besorah of Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Yeshua says, and this is very familiar to some of us, come to me, all of you who are struggling, and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke is not, a, it's not an egg yoke, but it's, a, it's a, like the burden of an ox, right, that an ox would wear. So he's uh, taking, he's sharing the burden of work with us so that we're not alone. That's what it means to share a yoke. Okay, so take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find... Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so Yeshua is the fulfillment of the rest of Shabbat, the resting in Shabbat. The next appointed time in the Parsha that's mentioned in Leviticus here is Pesach or Passover. Yeshua, of course, is the Passover lamb who was slain in order to bring us from the slavery of sin into the freedom of a relationship with God. And then the Parsha speaks of the season that we're now in, the appointed time, which is the counting of the Omer, all right? And it begins with something that um, some of us might not be familiar with, but it's something called first fruits. Raise your hand if you've heard of this. Oh, good. Wow, you're very educated. Uh, that's wonderful. All right, so first fruits um, is, the, is the beginning of this season, right, between Passover and Shavuot. This is what it says. Adonai said to Moshe, this is from Leviticus 23, 9 to 12. Tell the people of Israel, after you enter the land I am giving you and harvest its ripe crops, you are to bring a sheaf, a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen, or the priest. He is to, what do you think? Wave, everyone wave your sheaf. Try to practice that, yeah? Okay, we're going to reference this in a second. He is to wave the sheaf before Adonai so that you will be accepted. The Kohen is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. On the day that you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a male lamb without defect in its first year as a burnt offering for Adonai. So, this is the first offering after the Passover, again called first fruits. In other words, you bring the very first of your harvest, before you've had a chance to, to uh, harvest anything else, right, you bring that to the Lord. And why is that? Because we trust God to bless us with the rest of what we need. If we put him first, right, then he will order our steps and bless us. If we put him last, well, you know, it's a, it's a coin toss, I suppose, right? But it's better to put the Lord first, Um, The Parsha continues describing the Omer and Shavuot in verse 15 to 16. From the day after the day of rest, uh, that is the day you bring the sheaf offering for waving. Everyone wave your sheaf. Yeah, very good. You are to count how many weeks? Seven, the magic number, yes. Seven times seven until the day after the seventh week. You are to count... Fifty days. Ah, ah, ah. Sorry, wrong sermon. Okay, and then you are to present a new grain offering to Adonai. So there's another offering uh, for that, for Shavuot. Okay, this is uh, what I think uh, the appointed time, or the Moed, that Paul was referencing in uh, 1 Corinthians. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. The fact is that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, Right. And what season was that? Passover. The first fruits of those who have died. Let me say that again. The first fruits, Yeshua is, of those who have died. Rabbi Barney Kasdan says this about this connection here. And I quote, Paul is actually making a technical reference to the holy day of Sefirat HaOmer, the counting of the Omer. It is not merely that Yeshua was the first to rise bodily from the grave, but that by so doing, he is the direct fulfillment of the feast of first fruits. It's not a surprise to us because he's the fulfillment of every feast, but we see it most directly in his resurrection. The traditional observance of this feast points us to the resurrection of Messiah. It is a harvest festival, and the barley sheaves are what? Waved before the Lord. Think of it. The grain that had come from the earth is now lifted up high for all to see, unquote. All right? So we are living out the days of the time between the resurrection of Yeshua, the the first fruits, and looking forward, looking toward Shavuot, a.k.a. Pentecost, where the spirit of Yeshua came in fullness. When we celebrate Yeshua within these appointed times, we are pressing in to the prophetic meaning of these festivals. They are not just ancient Israel's appointed times on some old calendar. They point toward the Messiah. They point toward the kingdom of God and to the world to come. When we embrace Yeshua within the narrative of Israel, Yeshua within the covenants of Israel, and when we embrace Yeshua within the Moedim, the appointed times of Israel, we are, in effect, embracing God's kingdom. We are pressing in to his faithfulness. I went to uh, speak at a church recently um, during their Sunday school and uh, about Yeshua's fulfillment of some of these things, and I shared a little bit of my, my story, my journey with God, and I anchored it to talking about the faithfulness of God. And uh, the congregants uh, were there, and they asked really good, really tough engaging questions they were really tracking with me it was a lot of fun and uh, one of them mentioned paul's quote from romans eleven twenty six, 26 and paul says all israel will be saved and he he, th- he asked me if i thought that that meant does that refer to you know kind of this age is that something going on now or is that going on later and what do you think i said i said yes right <laughs> i said yes um, to me, this is a prophetic statement about God's faithfulness to Israel, but that doesn't mean we can just sit back, you know, relax, oh, okay, all Israel will be saved, so I don't have to, to really do anything, right? What have we seen is the pattern here. God's faithfulness should provoke our faithfulness, our pressing in. It doesn't mean we can just sit back and watch God bring salvation, because we are are his hands and his feet. We are his junior partners in a sense. So God's faithfulness to bring redemption to all Israel and to all nations should motivate our faithfulness to this cause, which we know is important to the Lord. And it should cause us to do what? Press in. That is, let us put our hand to the plow and pray for the full redemption of the Jewish people and to give A reasoned answer to anyone who asks us to explain the hope we have in us, yet with humility and fear. This is the advice in 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to read that again. To give a reasoned answer to anyone who asks us to explain the hope that we have in us, yet with humility and fear. That is reverence. Okay, He who is faithful to us will bring about the redemption that he longs for in us and through us. So during the Omer, as we look forward to Shavuot and to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, let us truly look forward, right? Let's lean forward. Everyone lean forward in your seats, right? We're anticipating and we are pressing in. Amen? Amen.